Good morning, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Bartek Stardai. Um, I'm coming at you the, uh, today from the perspective of uh, city government and especially um, governance within the context of a, of a smaller city um, and also within the context of um, uh, really a lot of urgent uh, issues and the need to find solutions quite quickly. So I'm going to speak for about 20, 25 minutes, um, just have about uh, 15 slides, and then we can have a, a discussion. Uh, so I'm the director of housing initiatives uh, for the city of Kingston, New York, uh, which if you know the geography a little bit of, of New York, it's about 90 minutes north of New York City. Um, I started in this position in January of this year, uh, so I'm a, I'm a little bit new. Um, but what I do want to stress is that this is a new position um, for the city. It's also a pretty unique position for a city um, the size of Kingston uh, to have. Uh, the other thing I want to stress um, before I get into the slides is that governance and especially the process of community engagement has really changed a lot uh, during and after COVID, right? The expectations have changed, the formats have changed. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, experimentation uh, here uh, right now, which I think is quite interesting because, I, you know, I think it's gotten, it was quite stale, if you will, uh, before the pandemic in terms of, you know, the same methods, the same processes. And uh, I think things are changing quite quickly, uh, which makes this, um, I think, quite interesting. Okay, so I'm just going to go over uh, Kingston, my experience in local government, and then I have two um, policy case studies. <clears throat> okay, so I'm the director of housing, and I'm the director of housing for a city that has a uh, a pretty extreme housing crisis. We were briefly famous during the pandemic because we had the um, uh, the largest uh, increases uh, in home prices year over year in the entire uh, country. Um, so uh, we, you know, there was a lot of press um, about Kingston itself uh, um, throughout the pandemic, and this has really continued uh, through this year as well. Uh, Kingston is that the name of the county that we're in is called Ulster County, um, and you know just just another chart to uh, you know show visually the uh, increases in home prices. Uh, we're a pretty old city. We were New York's first capital, and uh, and for a brief time in 1777. So we had a lot of old. A housing stock. We're an old city, right? Old infrastructure, and that comes with its own set of challenges. Uh, our population uh, is about twenty-four thousand, so uh, you know we're we're somewhat pretty small. Um, the annual uh, home price increases um, is about thirty percent year over year. Uh, the rental vacancy rate is 1.5% per the last study. So uh, what that means is that at any given time, 1.5% of all uh, apartment units are vacant or available to be rented. 
What that basically means is that there's nothing available. So uh, what have I learned from local government so far uh, since uh, I've been here in uh, January? So first, uh, you know, because of the number of checks and balances, local government governance process can seem slow. So this can be frustrating for pressing issues. It can also be a disincentive for proposing new ideas uh, for even the most motivated of stakeholders. Um, however, I use the word seem uh, because it can also be very effective and the process does actually work. And once you understand it, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, and I'll go over that uh, a little bit later. Second thing that I've learned. So there's at times a pretty awkward interaction between the elected officials of the city government and the government staff of which I'm a part. Um, the, the government staff is the one that tends to actually bring anything, meaning, anything meaningful forward, while the elected officials in this case, you know, prim primarily discuss and debate those proposals. But generally speaking, there's not a lot of collaboration between those two groups. <clears throat> Within the core team itself, there's a lot of disagreement about the level of community engagement uh, that is that is always needed, all right. So there's different approaches within the government staff itself or the you know the core team, uh, but there's a pretty strong desire to formalize the process so that they know in advance, right? So that they have a predictable process that they follow. It makes everyone's job um, presumably uh, much easier, right? And you know, lastly, uh, even for an issue such as housing, where you know I, I discussed previously, there's you know we're at such a, a crisis level, you know that the level of public engagement uh, is is you know still verges on apathetic, right? Um, however, there are certain outreach methods that can pretty effectively bridge the gap. So, for instance, for a city of of twenty four thousand. Kingston has a pretty strong civil society, uh, right? There's there's different um, uh, boards, there's different nonprofits, there's there's different foundations, there's um, you know uh, private sector actors, um, and even though these these groups don't have a formal role, right, in the governance process or in the policymaking process, um, you know, reaching out to these established groups uh, can can bridge the gap pretty effectively uh, for most issues. So uh, before I jump into my case studies, I do just want to go into a little bit of, of theory um, and you know just about the role of decentral decentralized governance, right, in the in city government. I'm just going to read this quote. So decentralizing governance uh, enables people to participate more directly in government's pro governance process and can empower people previously excluded from decision making. Decentralized areas of administration pave the way towards a better understanding between citizens and officials. It increases efficiency and responsiveness of government. So some might see this as a somewhat controversial quote, you know, in, if you're in, in government, perhaps, perhaps not. But I you know this is, I completely agree with this statement that in general, community engagement and uh, even attempting, you know, some level of decentralized government governance can, does uh, improve the outcome, right, of any policy that is being created. 
uh, it might slow the process down, uh, but I think it's worth trying, um, at least from where I'm sitting. All right, so uh, bear with me here. I just have a few slides about how governance works in the city of Kingston. Uh, so there's a formal governance process, right? So there's a piece of legislation. And, you know, maybe I'm the one as a, as a city staff person that's proposing it. It's brought to a, uh, a common council com committee of the common council's legislative body of the city of Kingston. Uh, there's four different uh, committees. Once it makes it out of committee, uh, the full common council votes on that proposal and then the mayor signs it. 99% of items that get out of committee are passed by the Common Council. All right. And this is because currently the Common Council committees work via consensus uh, process. So if there's a real uh, issue about the piece of legislation, it's typically amended within the committee, right? Because um, the, the, I think there's a general uh, agreement that, you know, you know, if, if someone, if, if I'm on the Common Council and my, my peer says that they have a major uh, issue uh, with that piece of legislation, generally speaking, there's a strong desire and incentive uh, to amend that piece of legislation so that there's general consensus. Uh, so most, most things uh, that get out of committee uh, pretty much sail through the Common Council vote and then also the uh, um, mayor's signature uh, that's needed. Um, the Common Council and the mayor are presumed to be accountable via the election process. So the Common Council, uh, they're up every two years and the mayor is every uh, four years. Um, the last thing I'll say about the slide is that Kingston has a strong mayor form of government. And so that, the, that means that the legislative body, meaning the Common Council, uh, cannot spend its own money, uh, nor can it make its own appointments. Uh, the mayor has a power uh, in this regard. There's also this informal governance process that happens uh, before the legislation comes to the Common Council, right? So there might be a project proposal, uh, again, uh, from a staff member. Uh, and then somewhere in between um, when that happens and when the legislation actually is presented to the Common Council, uh, there's um, community outreach. Uh, but again, uh, as I mentioned, um, that community, community outreach is, is not generally well-defined. Sometimes uh, what's, call, uh, what's called a project advisory committee, a PAC, is created. So um, this is probably the most formal way of community outreach. So uh, the PAC is typically made up of the representatives that are impacted or the key stakeholders that are part of a project. So for example, if there's a street reconstruction project that might involve, uh, the PAC might be uh, made up of a few residents of that street, the pastor of the local church, or perhaps two business owners. Uh, there might be additional public meetings as part of the process, but generally speaking, the city will assume that the PAC speaks for the interests of the street as a whole. And again, the PAC operates via consensus. So if there's disagreement, it's not going to make it out of the PAC. Um, the PAC sometimes is mandated by the funding source of a project, but other times it just makes sense um, given the, the project as a whole. Now, for certain projects, though, the bar for the outreach um, is generally considered to be much higher. So, for instance, if there's a plan to adopt, uh, you know, a general plan for electric vehicle incentives uh, in the city of Kingston, 
the Calvin Council might expect that the plan sponsor speaks to the transportation uh, groups in the city, for instance. Uh, but if there's a plan for electric vehicles that will somehow uh, perhaps Im impact parking throughout the city, uh, the expectation might be that the sponsor makes an attempt to notify cities, uh, notify residents citywide, right? So there's different, based on the impact, the expectation uh, might differ, uh, but that, that's not written down anywhere. It's, 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 it's what I call it informal. All right, so I have two case studies. Uh, the first one is the case of rent control. All right, so uh, this just happened. So this is an article from August 2nd, uh, 2022. Um, uh, Kingston uh, recently became uh, the first uh, upstate city to adopt rent control uh, in New York. And um, for those not familiar with geography here by uh, upstate, um, the terminology here is outside of uh, the New York City area. And so this was um, uh, widely regarded as a pretty big deal. Um, uh, you know, New York has a has a framework for rent control, the state, but you, as a municipality, you have to opt into that. So we did that earlier this month. Uh, so what I'll say about this issue is that even though it impacts only a couple dozen buildings in Kingston and about 1,200 units, all right, in the city of uh, 24,000, uh, this was a pretty sexy issue. Right, it's something that you could either get behind or oppose. Right, a simple uh, up and down vote. Right, so uh, in this case, I proposed uh, the legislation. Uh, the Common Council passed it. Uh, they they held a public hearing, which we had to do by law. Uh, in this case, uh, mandated by the state, but there was no other community outreach uh, as part of that process. There was a huge turnout uh, in the public hearing. Uh, that the Common Council called before voting to opt in. However, there was uh, that happened even though there was very little public outreach uh, and very little lead time uh, for uh, uh, the public hearing uh, itself. An interesting uh, part of the governance of this law now that we um, have it in place uh, is that rents are controlled by something called the Rent Guidelines Board. Um, and so the board votes via a majority vote. Um, so it's made up of two property uh, representatives, two owner representatives, two tenant representatives, and five members of the public. So the thinking here is right that the property owners have an incentive to approve higher rent increases. The tenant representatives have an incentive for lower uh, rent increases. And the members of the public right, might be somewhere in the middle. Um, and uh, in this in this governance structure, the members of the public, uh, you know, by design outweigh the tenants and the owners, so they can outvote uh, the, both the tenants and the uh, and the owners, and they're appointed uh, via recommendation uh, of the legislative body, uh, the Common Council in this case. So um, that was the case of rent control, and. Um, Again, we sped through this process as a city. Um, the, you know, this was a big vote, but the impact uh, is somewhat limited. So here's, a, here's another case study that's happening right now uh, uh, in Kingston, and it's the case of zoning. Um, in my view, there's no other issue as important to housing issue as zoning is. All right. And zoning basically sets the framework for, you know, how you can build, where you can build it. 
uh, if it's too restrictive, uh, you're not going to be able to have any any housing over the long term. The uh, city of Kingston's current zoning code was uh, completed in 1963, so it hasn't been updated for a long time. Uh, the mayor made the decision to do a complete redo in 2018. Um, rarely do uh, cities do a citywide rezoning, uh, especially uh, places um, uh, with the population of Kingston. So this is a huge opportunity, not only for Kingston, uh, but also for me within city government to engage the citizens at large uh, via process that will um, uh, uh, be a process that will be inclusive because the end result is going to impact uh, everyone. The challenge of this issue compared to rent control is it does not have the same level of sexiness uh, in any way, right? This is a 200 page document. Uh, it's easy to tune out. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, understand, um, even though the, the long-term impact uh, is, is, is potentially much more transformational. It impacts all aspects of affordability, accessibility. Overly restrictive zoning makes it very difficult to build new housing, uh, driving up rents and prices. And outdated zoning leads to bad decision and very poor urban planning. Um, the current plan, the, so this is a, a piece of legislation that's in process. It's very much uh, an active one, uh, but the the proposals are, uh, you know, quite sweeping um, uh, in terms of what we're proposing to change, right? So um, single family zoning, if you're familiar with urban planning uh, in the United States, is kind of a, a sacrosanct, um, very, uh, um, very common, um, zone type of zoning, which basically says you can only build single family uh, homes, single family dwellings throughout much of the city. Our zoning, current zoning plan would change that. So um, I just highlight this as one of the issues that's, I'm not going to go into detail about what's in the zoning itself, uh, but just know that it's, it's quite, um, quite a change, right? And so it speaks to the importance of uh, engaging the community. I'm just going to briefly walk through this uh, timeline with you. Uh, so I mentioned the process started in 2018. The city hired a consultant to do the project in 2021. This was somewhat delayed uh, because of the pandemic. We started with a visioning process last fall. So before we even wrote anything down, uh, and I'll go into this a little bit later, you know, what are the um, what is the vision for our community, right? What do we want long term? Uh, um, to solve in our community? How should we Kingston look in the next 50 years? These are the types of big questions that we asked. We released the first draft uh, this spring. Uh, we, compute, uh, we did um, a lot of community outreach to get input on that first draft. I'll talk a little bit about that as well. A, a second draft was released uh, this Monday. We're doing another round, we're not doing another round of input um, uh, this month. And then um, that will get us to a final draft. That will go to a common council committee, the laws and rules committee in this case. If it makes it out of committee, it then goes to the common, full common council and then the mayor will uh, sign it. So I'm just gonna briefly uh, discuss this visioning process. Our goal here um, was to do as many different formats as possible. Um, and engage as many different people within those formats as possible. So, uh, you know, we had a, uh, 
um, a citywide meeting that was in person and virtual. We had an online survey that could be filled in at any time. We had outside neighborhood walking tours. We had um, specific stakeholder meetings, right? So uh, if you're interested in economic development, we invited those specific stakeholders uh, to give us input. And then there was also drop-in sessions. So there was, you know, hours where we were at a, at a community center where you could just um, informally drop in, ask questions, uh, provide your uh, uh, feedback. The, the outreach for draft one uh, was somewhat similar to the, the visioning uh, aspect um, where we had a written public comment period. We had a citywide meeting that was in person, virtual, uh, you know, neighborhood drop-ins and then walking tours. Uh, and then um, the most important aspect I think that we did for this draft one is that we captured every single piece of input that we received in regardless of which which of these formats you participated in uh, we um, wrote that down and then we responded to each and every comment when we released the first draft so i think for i think transparency this is important but also it i think it shows that we're we're listening right and that we're taking uh, each comment into consideration Right, because we have to respond to each one and justify whether we think that change, um, justify you know why we made that change that was proposed or why we didn't. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, this is a really complex change. This is a this is a big policy change. There's. Um, there's still criticism uh, that the outreach that we've completed so far has not been intentional. Um, and that um, most people are, are not aware that this is happening. So in other, in other words, you know, the feeling is we can't just put this zoning plan out there and expect feedback to kind of uh, flow in. Um, there are certain people that are really involved and have been since the beginning. And some of these people are, are really for the plan and some are really um, against it. Uh, but still at certain events, you know, surprisingly low turnout given the potential impact of this. Um, and the problem for me is that I truly believe that more input, um, especially now that we have working drafts, will it would improve the plan, right? So um, a lot of the comments that we received on the, the first draft, almost 50% led to changes in the draft itself, right? Um, and so, um, you know, comments that are received shape the draft, which will impact the city for generations to come. So I need more input, right? I need more feedback because I know it's going to make uh, the draft better. You know, it's been quite interesting experimenting with the different formats so far, so that's been helpful. Uh, but my goal um, going forward is to uh, really reach out intentionally to certain stakeholder groups that I know should be participating and whose feedback I know will uh, improve the process. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm pivoting, if you will, from um, putting it out there uh, to being a little bit more intentional uh, in my outreach. So just a few um, overall learnings from zoning and then rent control. So, um, you know, number one, it's quite clear, issues that are regarded as pressing will get more attention. 
I, I start as an advantage in this, in this regard because housing, there's pretty broad consensus that this is um, important, that we need to do something. Um, um, and so, you know, but still, as you saw with rent control, uh, that led to a lot of attention. A zoning, a little bit less so. Uh, intentional outreach, it's, I think it's clear that we, if we can show that we reached out to certain stakeholder groups, um, especially those that, you know, might have been uh, shut out of processes in the past, will make the end result more legitimate and the end product more legitimate. Uh, a third bullet point, you know, who has the convening power and the legitimacy here? And I think um, this is a little bit of a surprise for me, but, you know, it's not always city government in this case. Uh, in, in certain cases, it might be a, a, a nonprofit actor, right, or a church uh, um, who, you know, if the church says, uh, we're convening around this, they're going to turn out people. If the city, uh, does, does the same thing, it, the end, you know, the city might not always have the legitimacy and the convening power here. And then lastly, I'll just mention, uh, I'm quite interested in, in the aspect of citizens assemblies as an alternative outreach model. And if I had to do the zoning process, uh, again, I probably would go for this. Uh, as another track. And so, uh, you know, briefly, if you're not familiar, this is where I think this is um, quite somewhat common in France. Um, I know Paris has been doing this for a while. You know, there's random selections, so citizens are chosen by lottery. Uh, and then this group of citizens here, uh, both sides of an issue, right? Um, here from experts, interest groups, and witnesses. And then the citizens debate among themselves. Um, and they uh, either have advisory power, or in some cases might even have a power, um, you know, that's that's binding uh, regarding a decision. All right, and this is my last slide here. So this is the um, city of Kingston uh, City Hall. Uh, symbolically, it's quite important uh, in Kingston because it's on top of a hill, and literally right in the middle of the city, um, and. Uh, it was, it fell out of use in the early 90s. So it was vacant for about uh, uh, 10 years. And it, it, uh, its vacancy coincided with the economic decline of Kingston as a whole. Um, and I think a loss of confidence within the city. And so the restoration of the city, this historic city hall, uh, you know, rekindled, rekindled the kind of confidence in the power of local government. Um, and in and in just uh, Kingston as a whole, and so I think it it has important symbolism, um, but uh, it also has beautiful meeting space, a uh, beautiful meeting spaces, uh, views of the mountains as you see here, um, but and this has been surprising to me. Anytime I've I've held any kind of event in here, um, no one turns up. All right, no one comes to my meetings at City Hall. Um, it's it's when I it's when I host meetings outside of City Hall, um, and intentionally uh, pick places outside of City Hall that I get uh, any kind of feedback uh, or real participation uh, at all. So I'll end there. Thank you. Thank you, Bartek. Um That's. Um... <laughs> That's quite both um, a bit sad, but also revealing that people don't show up at City Hall. Maybe they are weirded out by the uh, authority of it. I don't yeah. know. 
something yeah. like that, right? Yes. Um, we have, uh, we have, uh, I'm going to ask people to ask their questions. Either you can type them in the chat and I'll read them out loud if you don't want to um, say them out loud yourself, or you can do like Sandy and uh, put your hand up and ask it. So Sandy, go ahead. Hi, thank you so much for that presentation. Um, I also grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Okay. So <laughs> I know Kingston. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I would say, you know, my solution to empty city hall would be host a big party or something, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. make yeah. it, make it fun. Yeah. Um, free movie, free movie nights or matinees or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I really, you know, I really appreciated your uh, explanation of the, the political process and how it worked in the smaller city. It's, I mean, it's similar. I'm from Miami now. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, similar in, in our local and state politics as well. Um, and I really appreciate your focus on the outreach and all the ideas that you had and, and the insight that you derived about being intentional about the outreach, all of that. I was like shaking my head yes the whole time. Um, I read this fascinating book uh, by George Sarkadakis called Cyber Republic. And he's the founder of Voxiberate. Uh, which is right now rolling out, uh, I think, I'm not sure if they're out of beta yet, but they're partnering with different organizations. So what that is, is they basically, he basically created an AI platform that um, facilitates uh, citizen assemblies. And it has like a fair sortition algorithm so that it can like take your community and and select the people for the citizen assemblies that will be representative of your community and then facilitates a deliberation process that can happen online which also could become more accessible to people as well yeah. and so you know i got the demo of it and i was really uh, impressed by the demo and i'm excited to see this rolling out in different places but it can be a part of a dao deliberation level or layer as well um, as as kind of like a analog or in, in real life kind of deliberation. So, and the book is fascinating too. So I actually think that the citizen assembly model is the way to go. So it's really interesting to hear that that's what you're doing. And I'd love to hear the follow-up on how that works for you. Great, Cyber Republic. Yeah, okay, I'll put it in the chat too. Great, thanks. While uh, everybody else is thinking about their questions, I'm going to throw something out there as well. Um, I was listening to you, Bartek, and I was uh, thinking uh, from the point of view of a designer researcher that uh, also needs feedback from users to improve the products that we're doing uh, or the understanding of the problems that we're trying to solve and all that. Um, uh, I was thinking that you know there's a bunch of uh, user research um, methodologies and 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 practices that uh, always struggle in the same point, which is how do we make people show up so that they can uh, use our product and give us feedback, or in your case, review our uh, drafts and give us feedback, right? And <laughs> uh, I was uh, commenting this the other day with someone, and uh, all of the major minds in the fields and all the books and all the references say bring donuts as the answer to that so basically try to move people by food and uh to make them show up and it it sounds like a uh you know a, a small little thing 
but um but uh i've tried it before and it worked right i was in an office and i wanted people to to see the usability testings and participate in it and donuts did a trick and and uh i think the suggestion of sandy of throwing a party is not that it's not that weird i think maybe that's that, that can be a way yeah. but i was i was listening to your to your to your testimony and i was like okay yeah i mean it's the same challenges uh so when we're doing research we're worried about do we have a fair representation of the users in your case the citizens uh do, are they showing up and and saying what they think about it or are they weirded out because there's some power dynamics at play or whatever it is right so there's all these concerns which are similar in that sense and a bunch of uh, issues in DAOs right now also revolve about uh, around this, right? A bunch, a bunch of DAOs have uh, voter apathy as well and low participation and and so on. I, I wanted to ask you, and you you mentioned this a couple of times. Um, do you think that the sexiness level of the issue is the major factor that influences people showing up and participating on it? Like you said, for the rent control issue, since it is more sexy or more on the trend right now more people participated uh do you think that's the thing that contributes more for people showing up i i do yes but you know there's um uh, there's different ways you can frame an issue right to make it more appealing or to make it right. more interesting so um i'm gonna go back here to um to zoning um where you know this article made um turned um there's there's a lot of things contained right here within the zoning reform one of those is single family uh, zoning or single family restrictions and the and the fact that we're changing those and would be changing those in the proposed draft uh, and uh, we would be one of the few cities nationwide to do that on a citywide level and so there's different there's different pain points or different uh different framing here that i can use right to make the issue a little bit more appealing and uh, not only more appealing but also uh relatable right so you know when i say zoning reform no no one knows what i mean when i say sidewalks or when i say um uh you know affordable housing right it's a little bit more relatable so there's i think there's there's things that uh we can do uh, around the framing of an issue to to you know pump up the dial in terms of the sexiness um and uh you know one's ability to engage on an issue um and you know i don't think it's i you know i also like i don't think it's um it's on it's on me right to do that it's on me to explain what's happening here right to explain uh what zoning reform is and why it's important um you know i take that response i take that responsibility on 100 percent so um but yeah it's all, i think it's all about the framing uh, as well yeah that's that's also why i was asking because if that's the driver that would lead to more people showing up then that's what we should optimize for and it's basically you know um marketing in a way on how to how to brand this issue as something people yep. should relate to and 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 be concerned about right yep uh, and i do think that the driver for that the 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 approach of making it relatable is interesting and when you were describing I was like imagining uh you know on the streets of the city an overlay of oh this zone is going to become this or this zone is going to become that and something like that so that people when they are walking by they would see and interact with it right yeah that could be that could be closer to them mm -hmm. um Sandy go ahead 
So yeah, so I, I'm also a student in public affairs. So um, we learn all about these policy issues from the different frames of, but you know, who's creating the policy and, and who's interested in it. And so the word, you know, that we're looking for is salient. So it's a salient issue to the public. And growing up in a small upstate New York town, um, very, very often the concerns with anything having to do with City Hall, which I don't even really remember many people ever wanting to do anything with City Hall. <laughs> um, they're, you know, but when there was a concern, it was something that was affecting their livelihood. It was something that was affecting them in the short term. So helping a population also understand how politics works in the longer term and how like po policy initiatives now are gonna impact them 10 years from now and to, and for them to care about that requires like a little, like maybe other strategic initiatives as well that maybe that involves the school system and what, you know, how you're, how you're teaching this, the kids in school about um, the political affairs and things like that, or how you're engaging them in the political process as well, because some of these kids are gonna grow up and stay in the town and they're gonna be the long-term people that are going to care about the, the long-term impact. Um, you know, there's a small percentage, this, these small towns, I mean, you're closer to New York City, so you probably get a, a more uh, New Yorkers that are escaping the big city and yes. like a higher, you, you probably, it, it probably increases the wealth gap mm -hmm. um, and maybe causes some tension with the locals that have been there for generations and then the new ones raising the, the pricing of housing and things like that. Um, so. But those are all interesting issues that I think could lead to a greater education among the residents as a whole as to kind of the difference between short term and long term impacts of policy and like how do they want to see the city growing 10 years, 20 years from now, you know, and that kind of like strategy process. Um, so, yeah, I know in my town, you know, two thirds of the people that I graduated with left town. And they were just wanted to get as far away as they could <laughs> and into into, you know, larger cities, places with more opportunity and things like that. So it's definitely a different challenge when you're working with the smaller cities. Yeah, one of the I just add one of the arguments that I'm 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 going to make uh, here uh, and one of the one of the arguments, you know, one of the justifications for tackling zoning reform is that if we don't do anything, you know, your your child won't have a choice, right? They'll have to leave, all right, because they'll be um, priced out. Okay, so um, but I think I love the idea. You know, what you're describing is like a, a much larger ecosystem, right? Of of city government, um, you know, educating the 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 populace a little bit more about how it works, right? And some of the short and long term effects and impacts of some of the things being proposed because you're probably right like you know zoning reform is one thing rent control is uh, another thing but i wonder you know if if uh, folks really understand how you know the governance process works you know i didn't before i came onto city government and i would consider myself to be you know a relatively engaged uh individual in kingston beforehand it might be interesting to form a youth council, a youth advisory council with the local schools there, actually. Yeah, yeah to educate more long term. Um, 
Bardek, I, I have another question, which uh, I, I don't think you mentioned it uh, specifically in your presentation. Uh, first of all, what you just said that uh, most people have no idea how uh, city government works. It's, I mean, I had no idea, but uh, uh, what you explained, I was like, huh, that's interesting. There's all this power dynamics in here and it goes from here to here. That's, that's cool. Um, and I think it would be uh, badly wide if uh, everybody was aware of that, obviously. Um, one of the things that uh, I don't think you mentioned specifically is, and I'm, uh, and I was wondering is, um, who picks who to uh, to listen, right? So uh, you said that on the community outreach um, uh, engagements, um, you can do it as in, oh, hey, people, we're going to be in this place at this time, show up, and whoever shows up is who gets listened to, right? And whose voice is heard. Uh, it can be more or less heard, and their comments could be included or not, and so on. But um, I, I'm specifically asking about where is the filter to what, which voices are heard or not, and how um, do you guarantee that there's enough diversity on the voices being heard, basically? Yeah, I think this is one of my key learnings uh, regarding the whole process of of zoning. You know. The benefit for me here is that I, I've been doing this and I can improve through time because there's multiple drafts, right? So I can see what worked, what didn't. And I think, again, this just goes back to uh, the intentionality of your outreach because otherwise it's just, it, you're just not going to get a representative voice. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You can hope that it does, but it never, <laughs> never will. So unless you do outreach to that group, um, um, they're often uh, just not going to be part of the voices. And there's many reasons, right? We can't necessarily assume as to why that group isn't participating, uh, right? They might feel, they might not trust me and right? And my power, my convening power. They might've been um, uh, shut out of the process beforehand, right? Um, there's a long history, right? Of the city government doing that in the, its urban planning especially for, um, you know, the African-American community. Yep. Um, so, you know, there's, we can't necessarily assume as to why they're not participating. Uh, but um, I think through the intentionality of trying, uh, you know, we can bridge that, I can bridge that gap. Okay, especially as, for something as important as zoning, uh, which I hope will uh, correct some of the mistakes of the past uh, that the city has made. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, um, let me add something onto that that I think you 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 mentioned, um, which is uh, at least in my world of uh, research, um, we are uh, concerned about biases and are we as researchers introduce bias in the, the things that we are researching about and are we uh, you know uh, extract insights from that and all that, and one of the um, best ways of uh, uh, accounting for that is to have a diverse research team. So if the research team is just me, <laughs> that's going to be heavily biased. If it's me and another guy that looks like me, it's also going to be biased, right? And so uh, we, uh, one of the ways to try to uh, approach that is that the research team itself should be diverse enough as well, because otherwise our biases will get in the way and we only listen to certain things and not all the things. And uh, and uh, I, I think that that also impacts the convening power of the research team in this case, right? Because people that 
if we're a group of people that are trying to listen to what the other group of people is trying to list to say, they maybe will not speak to us in the same way if we're these ones, right? So there's there's all those dynamics at play as well. You're a hundred percent right. And um, you know, in this case, our our research team, if you will, is not diverse. All right. Um, uh, you know, I'm a white male, um, <laughs> and I'm leading the project. So, you know, the the challenge for me, and I think uh, what I've tried to do, right, is this goes back to you know who does have the convening power in the community. So, where possible, I've tried to bridge that gap. But that is, I think, um, in this project, um, of somewhat of a flaw. And I think, you know, in general, um, you know, the city government. And this is probably true of many places, especially in upstate New York. It's not necessarily representative of of the populace as a whole. Right. Uh, so this is a much much larger issue, of course, but an important one. Yeah. Sandy, go ahead. So you know, it keeps bringing me back to this discussion that we have in Dow circles a lot, and. I'm constantly banging the drum of being intentional about outreach and making sure people are included because um, as somebody that does have barriers to actually participating in DAOs and seeing, you know, these communities just rising up and saying, no, no, you just have to like take the initiative and get in there and start working for free or, you know, sift through your 4,000 discord <laughs> messages and keep up, right? And that's yeah. kind of the idea. Um, but that's extremely difficult to do for people that are already disadvantaged in other ways, right? If they're like single mothers or they're, they need to work, you know, 80 hours a week just to be able to pay the rent and things like that, then they're not going to be participating. They're not going to be those loud voices. Um, and so that, uh, but the discussion that I often find whenever I bring this up is usually, and part of the reason why I like the r and is because I never get, I don't get pushback when I bring this up in r and circles, but <laughs> in other DAOs, the pushback is basically, you know, um, this is a free market, essentially, everybody's welcome. Uh, and that is not my responsibility to go out and find people to be welcome. So I guess that's yeah. a statement, but also, uh, you know, welcome to hear your thoughts on that, that as well. <laughs> How do we fix that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Bartek said it. I mean, we, we need to be intentional about including people, right? People just don't just include themselves uh, out of nowhere, right? They just don't drop from the sky and they show up in meetings. <laughs> we need to be intentional and in reaching out to specific groups of people that maybe are not, uh, don't have as much accessibility to, to enter yeah. these this spaces. Yeah, and again, like for zoning, you know, when you're just putting it, you know, when this is just put out there, right, you're just going to have a group of people that are going to be engaged, right? Um, some of these people are going to be really for it, some are going to be really against it. Um, but those people are not representative of the city as a whole in any in any way. Um, and uh, so that speaks to, you know, what's net, what do we do now, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, um, I I think that uh, one way forward is something that Sandy mentioned, like uh, tools like uh, Vuxivirate that try to make sense of most voices. Uh, and um, there's some other tools. There was one tool that now I don't remember the name exactly that we were trying to experiment in Arendau that was specifically targeted at citizen assemblies as well. 
and we would work with audio recordings. So everybody on their mobile phone could uh, listen to what the issue was and then reply by voice recording. And then the AI would uh, uh, basically create clusters of people that think this way or, this, or that way to try to get some representation of that. Um, and I think there's a bunch of uh, opportunities for technology to help mm -hmm. on the issue of diversity and representation because it's more accessible than, uh, hey, come to this meeting at this place in this location. Yeah, um, and, yeah and this is where, you know, um, right the 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 old model if you will pre-pandemic was always just you know one meeting in person right at six o'clock you know at six o'clock <laughs> right yeah. and um i think you know with with uh we're changing that it's just changing quite quickly in city government uh especially in kingston um and uh that's quite exciting uh, right to have all these different kind of formats right for participation but where we are definitely lagging i think um is you know where could technology further breach the gap the, the gap here right what other tools are we not even thinking of um that might make the ability to add input uh even uh you know more seamless right for that busy person mm -hmm. um so that's the next frontier i, I guess <laughs> yes let's try to let's try to build things like that and to test it out and and uh and experiment with it i think that's that's one of the ways forward um we are about to wrap up i think there's no more questions and that's totally okay this uh call was being recorded we'll also uh post it on our youtube channel and for everybody here that wants to join our endow and uh, see what we're up to and discuss these kind of issues and um, try to help with these kind of challenges, you're welcome to. And I dropped a link on the chat for you to do that. And um, I think that's it. Thank you so much, Marjak. Uh, thank you for doing the work that you're doing and thank you for presenting it to us. And um, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for the discussion. Uh, uh, uh.